Well, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Did you enjoy where the band took us this morning in terms of God's presence? Yeah, and, and yeah, part of you can clap for that. That's wonderful. There's a reason that that is so spectacular for us because God tells us in his scriptures, in Ecclesiastes, he says this, he set eternity in our hearts. And so there is this longing for eternity because it's the place that we can call home. And God draws to us in moments like this and they catch us off guard and, and he, he wants us to encounter him and he calls himself the I Am and that's the series we're in. And so this morning, if, if you're feeling drawn in, if you're feeling called out of hiding, ju just know that that's the goodness of God who's doing it in your life today and in my life. All right, 87 is the number. Anybody have any idea what the relevance of 87 is today? Oh, Kelsey, is he 87? I didn't think about that. Good catch, no pun intended. That was quick, wasn't it? I'm not as dumb as I look. 87 days until Christmas. Yeah, some of you like, I heard the groans, like I cannot believe you just did that. Yes, I know that just a few days ago, it was in the 90s, I get that. Uh, for me, I love fall, favorite time of the year. Love the colors. Now I'm colorblind, but I do love the colors. It's only red-green, okay? I can, I can see stuff. I love the crisp air. I love everything apple. Pretty amazing, right? Well, I, I like Christmas too. I mean, for me, Christmas, the, the holiday cheer, the sense of joy that can be in, uh, in the air, if you will, uh, the, the gathering of family and friends. And then there is the Christmas cookies. Do you have a favorite Christmas cookie? Snickerdoodle is my favorite too, and I love them chilled. Yes, I don't know why. As I get older, they break my teeth, so we keep them warm. <laughs> love a good snickerdoodle. Love the caroling. Love the specialty drinks. You know, certain types of hot chocolate only come out that time of the year. It is a great time, and one of the things that I really love is the giving and receiving of gifts. Do you enjoy that? Yeah. So I think back in terms of just some of the gift giving. Um, I know some folks that started their Christmas shopping last December. Anybody like that in this room? You're not going to admit to it, but I, we are so glad for people like you. I had a teacher in high school. His annual goal was to buy all of his gifts for his family and friends after 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. I don't even know if that's possible. I suppose, I, I don't know, I mean, if you're going to give them the next day, but that's what he'd do, and he'd wrap, that just seems like a lot of stress to me, but that was his annual goal. Well, well it's interesting as it relates to, there's different gift-giving practices, and there's, you know, different ways in which we receive gifts, and I, I thought of, um, of my mom. We, finances were tight when I was in grade school, and uh, the neighborhood families would exchange gifts, and so my mom would make lampshades. And it became the talk of the neighborhood, not because it was cheesy, uh, but she did a fabulous job, and they were personalized. And so gifts can actually say a lot about the status or state or uh, condition of the giver. Uh, I, I think of um, a gift that I gave to my sister. Again, now I'm in middle school. I I'm embarrassed to tell you. I wrapped uh, a, a little calculator 
and I gave it to her on the bus for her birthday. And I don't think that calculator made it off the bus. We got teased, the kids tear it apart. But again, you could just tell, like, I was devastated because I thought, boy, I, I had put a lot of thought into this, um, but nobody really, I suppose, taught me how to give gifts. Well, it, it can also, in terms of gift giving, can tell you a lot about the receiver, the level of a, a, a gratitude. Uh, it, it's interesting, as I, I, as I um, travel, I come home sometimes and I'll, I'll find notes like this one uh, on my pillow from my kids. Do you ever get those from your kids? Have you ever given those to a parent just to say, hey, I want to offer some gratitude and thanks? And so for this child, I I won't read it to you, but uh, they just, they they said, hey, here are the things that I'm so thankful for, and and I'm just appreciative that there's gratitude, right? Uh, A middle school kid writing a gratitude letter, I thought, boy, that's amazing. I'm waiting for the hook, you know. You know, what, what is it you need? Uh, Dad, um, could, you, could you get me gas money or I need a car? But, but there was nothing. It actually went from um, thank you for these kinds of things and these activities to also thank you for raising me well. You know, just, I, I was like, I got to save this for those moments when you just don't feel good as a parent, you know? And then he goes on. Um, oh, he tells me he loves when we take him out to eat. That, that makes sense. And then, um, I thank you for helping me live a productive life. I mean, isn't it just amazing to see the receptivity when things are given and there's gratitude that wells up? See, see my, my hope this morning as we talk about gifting is that in our hearts there will be this gratitude that just rises up and it's genuine. That there actually be some curiosity that begins to take root and we feel drawn in to learn more. And actually, it would tap into the hunger that is deposited in our souls because God said he puts eternity in our hearts. That there, there would be a tap into that hunger that is in you and me, not just for more of what God can do for us, but a hunger for more of who he is as a person. So I'm thinking of gift giving when I think of um, a wedding ceremony. So uh, 1994, my wife and I in July went to the altar together, and I didn't realize all the hoopla surrounded that. You know, the shower that happens? Uh, I, I didn't know what that was, and then I had to be there, right? And then I saw all the gifts, and that was amazing, right? Uh, but as, as we moved into that day, I mean, this obviously was our day, but it was my wife's day, but when we got to that altar, And we stood there one to another, and we said and exchanged our vows. What we in a sense doing is saying, hey, I am giving myself to you till death do us part. I mean, we actually said those words. And my wife said it back, I give myself to you till death do I part. And and then the the minister said, hey, what token do you give as an exchange? And, And what's the typical token? A ring, right? I actually had some friends that in the 70s said, well, we gave each other a stereo and he built me a hope chest. And I was like, I don't know how that works at the altar. You know, just didn't know how that worked. Well, here's what's interesting. When I, when I brought the wing, uh, the wing, could I have the wing, please? <laughs> when I gave her that ring, um, the, the history on that ring, I, I had some family... Um, Uh, diamonds that had been given to me from like a grandmother's ring and that kind of thing. But I also, as a kid, I found a ring when I was out playing. 
And we tried to find in the neighborhood whose it was. And my mom, nobody, nobody claimed it, put an ad in the paper, so on and so forth. Well, we ended up keeping that ring. And so I took the stones from that ring and we went shopping. And, and that was amazing and a headache. But we, we went shopping because she's like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I want. And they, they just all looked the same to me. I mean, I just had, I mean, you have all different kinds of cuts and clarity and sizes. And, and then the gold. I mean, do you want gold? Do you want platinum? Do you want this? Well, I took everything that she wanted and I actually went to a jeweler and I said, hey, could we design a ring that nobody else has, take these stones, and it will be custom to fit to her preferences and to her size. And so that's what we did. I mean, it came out beautifully. Because I didn't have to pay for the diamonds, I thought, well, I could pay for the design, right? Didn't want to be the cheap guy. Well, here's what's interesting. We've been married 25 years, and, and it's huge. I mean, the gals want to show. We work with a lot of young adults, and they want to show, hey, look at the ring. And they'll, they'll say to my wife, can I see your ring? And it's amazing the response from the younger generation to my wife. They'll, and, and we're not old, I don't think. And they said, oh, that is so vintage. <laughs> I'm like, it's not vintage. I designed that. Designed it specifically to fit her to fit her likings, to fit her finger. But, but here's what's amazing about this gift, this token. It, it reminds me of her presence. It reminds me of her person. It's not about the gift. It's about the person. Because what we did at the altar is we didn't just exchange a stereo and a hope chest. We didn't just exchange, oh, I got a great gift. It's of great value. Thank you. No, I gave her me and she gave me her. And so in like kind, when we think about the giver I am, it's about not just the gift that he gives, but it's about the person of who he is. Does that make sense? And in fact, this I am is so good and so lavish in what he does in terms of the gifts that he gives. John chapter 3 says it this way. For God so loved the world, so you feel the intent of the giver. God so loved the world that he gave, do you know the rest of it? His only son. So the gift was a person. He actually says, remember we said, eternity is set in our hearts. This is everlasting life that we might know him. He that has the Son, Jesus, that gift that the Father gives, actually has life. He that does not or she that does not have the gift of the Son does not have life. He says it this way, for the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it says all this about the graciousness, the lavishness of the gift giver. And so we want to connect this morning with the gift giver. Here's what we believe, that, that each time we gather this gift giver, the I am, as, we're, as he calls himself in this series, he wants us to encounter him, the gift giver, the person of the gift so here's what I'm wondering before we get going in this message. Would you be willing to be receptive to whatever gift God has for you today, personally? Would you be willing just to pause and say, God, I am willing to receive the gift that you have for me. 
Would you open up my heart, my eyes, my ears to hear, to see the gift that you might have for me in these moments? Can we pause and do that? Well, let's pray about that. God, we just want to say thank you this morning for the gift that you wish to deposit in us. And you're a good gift giver. You give us amazing things. And we just ask, would you open our hearts and our minds to the gift you'd have for us each as individuals? Now, why don't you ask him for that gift? So I want to move to the arrow slide, if you will, and we'll just skip that other part. That'll be helpful. We, we've been anchoring in Ephesians 2.10, and in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, for we are his masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works that he's planned in advance for us to do. And so I just want to remind us this morning that God says, you are a masterpiece. I am a masterpiece. And he has intention about our lives. And the dreams that he had for us, he has thought about that long ago, that in these days, they can be named, they can be known, and they can be lived. And so we have been thinking about our lives like an arrow. So we call ourselves arrows out here at Heartland. And so imagine your life and my life like an arrow in the hand of God made with precision for a specific purpose. That is the reality and truth for you and for me. A good God with a great purpose with you and me and mind. And so this image of the arrow, you'll see it on the screen here in the moment. The past couple weeks, we've been looking at the shaft of the arrow, which is the representation of the story of God from, from creation to the fall, from incarnation of Jesus to his redemption and to reconciliation. Beautiful, beautiful things. But then we said, okay, what is it about my story intersecting with God's story that helps me make sense? So if I interpret my past, it'll help me determine and fuel the future that I have. Well, today we're going to look at the knock, which is that notch on the back of the arrow that is a representation of gifting. It's the, the intersect from the arrow to the string and it allows the arrow, which is our lives, to fly with power. We're going to connect with the power of God in our lives. It's based on his gift towards us. In the weeks to come, we'll look at passion. Uh, that's the, flex, uh, the, the, the fletchings, the, the, the feathers that allow it to fly straight. We'll look at calling, which is uh, that tip of the spear. And then we'll look at our next step in terms of a goal. So that's just some imagery that's been really, really helpful for us as we, as we walk through this I am conversation. So here's the big thought. Gifting connects our lives to God's power. Passion directs our lives with God's pre uh, precision. So we're going to remain on the gifting connecting us to God's power. 
And we're going to go back into the life of David. So um, back in Samuel, you've got this individual named David who was a shepherd boy who became a warrior. And he actually uh, cut his teeth as a public warrior in his battle with Goliath, right? So everybody understand. We actually had kind of that Goliath and David imagery earlier in our, right? <laughs> by design, people, by design. Not to say that Seth is going to take out Derek. That's, that's where the metaphor stops. David proves himself as a warrior, and God had been, he had chosen him as a king, king of Israel. And so we're picking up in the account where this unlikely David comes on the scene and you've got the Philistine nation up on one part of the mountain and you've got this valley and then you've got the Israelites and you've got their army on the other side of the mountain that leads into this valley. And for 40 days, the champion of the Philistines, his name is Goliath, and he came down into the valley and he taunted the people of Israel and said, hey, send out your champion and we'll fight. And whoever kills the other, servitude and captivity for the other army. So Philistine, if I win, Israelites, you're captive to us. The other way around, if you win, we'll be captive to you. 40 days, Goliath, this gargantuan of a warrior, since his youth, nine feet tall, this big dude, taunted, and the people of Israel were just, in, they're just scared. David, who's a youth, small, shepherd boy, comes on the scene, and he begins to try to convince the king, Saul, hey, I can do this. Now, it's a battle to the death. I mean, there's a lot at stake within the battle of his life. And it picks us up in 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 to 40. I want to read the whole portion for us to just get the power of the Scriptures. You can read along as I read. Uh, you don't have to read out loud. I'll read out loud. You can follow along. Here we go. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, being Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Quite a confident young kid. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. And he says further, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you hear the confidence rising in him? And Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. So he convinced him. Then uh, Saul clothed David with his armor and he put the helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain, David did, to go for he had not tested them. 
Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David, he put them off, then he took his staff with his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in hand, and he approached the Philistine. So what's happening here? David has confidence because of the story that he had in the past that God delivered him from the lion and from the bear. The story of God intersected with David's story and actually gave him confidence to kind of come out of hiding and say, I am not gonna allow this Philistine to taunt us. I can be the victor because God had done that in the past for me. He will do it in the present for us. And he offered that confidence. And then Saul did what was natural. I I don't know, you as a young man, you're gonna fight with a sling. We've gotta get you some weapons of warfare. So he puts on a helmet. It must have been jostling around. I could just imagine this young kid with this armor and it's just dragging on the ground. I mean, there is no way he's gonna win that battle. Have you ever been in the place where something gets put on you that is ill-fitting? You ever tried on someone else's clothes? Like if, if my kids try on my shirts, you know, it's a nightgown, right? I mean, it just, it just doesn't fit. They put their feet in my shoes and they're walking around, they look like clown, clown shoes because they got such, you know, these big feet. Have you ever had something put on you ill-fitting that does not fit you? Or, or put it in reverse. Have you ever wanted the life and gifting of somebody else because it just seems to fit and you're like, if I could just have that, life might be better for me. You ever felt like that? It's easy for us to look in those places and want to put on the things and the giftings that others have. But, but here's the truth. It doesn't work for us to put on the things and the gifts of others to make the life that God wants us to make. It's the lesson that we, we learn from David that when we move into the battle of our lives, and let's just be clear, life feels often more like a battle than just lived in a bubble. Am I right about that? And what are going to be the weapons that you choose for the battle of your life? God says, I have a gift that I can give you that will help you, and you need to choose the weapons for life that fit you, not somebody else's. Here's what God does. He says, I know that you need everything that pertains to life and godliness. And he says, I give it to you, Second Peter Chapter one, verse three. He says, I give it to you, everything that pertains to life and godliness, but I give it to you in my son. And so the gift of his son, if you've not received the gift of his son, he wants you to be equipped with the presence of his son for daily living and for eternal living. But, but then he goes on and he actually tells us, Jesus gives gifts to the community of faith. And we learned about it out of Ephesians. You said, are we just ever gonna get out of Ephesians? No, it's an amazing, it's an amazing book. Ephesians chapter four, I want you to take a look. It's verses 11 and uh, 12. Jesus gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. 
What Jesus has done, and you might remember this, is he gives each of us a gift, but the gift isn't just the function of the power of God in our lives. If we backed up a few verses, you'd see that he gave people to the community. Here's what that means. He gives us the person of Jesus as a gift so we can have his presence and have a relationship with us. Then he gives people, you, me, he gives us as a gift to the community to function with his power to help others grow in their faith. Now, now did you know that you are a gift to your community? Let me, let me say that again, because that often doesn't sink in. Now, some of us that might be narcissistic, you're like, I already knew that. <laughs> of course, everybody knows that I'm a gift to the community. No, 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 not, we're not, not talking about that, that kind of narcissism. We're talking about the masterpiece that you and I are. That you are a gift to your community to help them fight the battle of their life. You are a gift to your community to help them fight the battle of their life. You are the gift. And he's given some as apostles, and he's given some as prophets, and he's given some as evangelists. He's given some as shepherds and some as teachers. What, what does the apostle do? Well, let's take a look at this. A gentleman named Alan Hirsch has great resources on this. Go to the star image, if you will. See, the reality is Jesus had all five of these in full measure. But he, he, he gives each of us kind of the gift like one or two. That doesn't mean that I can't grow in all of them. But as we function together in synergy in our community, whether it be our home or our workplace or our church place, there's synergy of power. So the apostle, for instance, it's that pioneer. You heard Derek, Derek talk about it. This taking ground, this entrepreneur, strategic, visionary. But then you've got the prophet. The prophet is the disturber, the agitator, the questioner. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> yeah. They're awesome until they're not. Every one of these, by the way, have a shadow side. The apostle... He'll take, he'll take ground, but he'll just overwhelm and his plate's full. The prophet just continues to hound, could feel like judgment. The evangelist can be a Johnny One note, right? They, they've got to passionately recruit to the kingdom that they have. And you're like, could you just stop about your team, right? Um, but we need them in the body of Christ. So there's a shadow side. The evangelist is that recruiter. The shepherd is that humanizer, caregiver, the social glue. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you're like that. The teacher, translator, systematizer, philosopher. Now the reality is, is we might have two of these gifts, by the way. You might just roll out of bed in the morning and kind of naturally do one of these things, which is amazing. There might be another that, that you're growing in. But, but here's our call for today. See, none of us are designed to have all of them. So we need to be interdependent with one another. God designed it that we could all function together in synergy, dependent upon one another. And so here's the call this morning before we move into our communion celebration want to invite you to name the gift. 
Now it says on the slide here, name your gift. But, but, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning. First, it may be the gift of Jesus this morning you say, I need the gift of Jesus in my life. And you feel drawn into that reality. And, and the reality is you can say, God, I am sorry for the junk in my life. I thank you for the gift of your son and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And would you please come into my life? Sorry, thank you, please. That could be the gift that you name today and say, I need the person of Jesus in my life. But here's the challenge. Would you name the gifts of other people? Could be a spouse, could be a parent, could be a child, could be a neighbor, could be a friend, could be a coworker, and it could go like this. Here's how I see you like God. You take ground. You ask questions. You recruit. You're the social glue around here. Oh, you just help make things clear as a translator and a communicator. Would you begin to look outside of yourself, around you, to say, that is a gift to me, to the body. That is a gift to me in my community. Is that making sense this morning? For our eyes to be open to see the gifts all around us and to actually call it out. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, I see that you're like this, that is a gift to me. If somebody did that to you, would that be exciting? Would, would you like that kind of conversation? Come on, would you like that kind of conversation? Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't like the kind of conversation to have somebody call out something positive in their life and say, that is a gift to me? God knows that we have plenty of stuff going through our heads that tells us what we're not, what we're not doing, all the judgment, all the negative tapes. Could you take as a challenge this week to look at the gifts around you and to name your gift just like that? And maybe you wanna know the gift of God on your life, then you can take fivefoldsurvey.com. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to grab your phone, write down www.fivefoldsurvey.com. www.fivefoldsurvey.com. And it'll help you, if you've not already done it, to name the gift that's on your life where the power of God connects with you as a gift to the community, family, workplace, church that you're in. Take a moment, bookmark that survey.